you know, Rebecca made a really good point that uh, she kind of noticed a pattern in all of her story. Really, there's a, a pretty similar pattern in most every story, right? I mean, there's there's this protagonist, there's the maybe the hero of the story, the main character of the story, um, who has some type of a desire, some kind of a deep longing, but then there is at least one major conflict that makes you think, oh, this is hopeless. But then from out of nowhere, this protagonist finds a way to, for this desire to be fulfilled, and then you have the reconciling, the resolution at the end. Um, if you want a, a really simple um, storyline that does this over and over and over, um, I encourage you to watch the Hallmark Channel. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, okay. Sorry. I'll I'll hear about that when when I get home. Uh, from the from the cat, not from death. Yeah. So uh, so I want us over the the next few weeks uh, to focus on a story that uh, we may not think of as one big story, but it is. It is definitely one big story. We're gonna we're gonna call this the story of God. And um, and this is um, as we learn this story of God, we're gonna we're gonna get to know the main character, the hero of the story. Um, spoiler alert: It's not you or me. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna see what kind of conflict arises, and what the hero of the story does to overcome all conflict, and um, there's, there's pretty good resolution at the end. you got to trust me on that one, all right? We've not experienced it yet. But So I want us to think about this, this big story of God, and what I want to explain is, is not something that's just so you can kind of understand the Bible better when you read it, which would be awesome. I want to share some things with you that not only change the way I read the Bible, it changed the way I look at life. And I think as we begin to understand better the story of God, we begin to see in that the story of us. The story of us as a group, as a church, the story of us individually. And we're going to see how the story of God gives us a pattern that we can live by as we encounter conflict, as we uh, seek reconciliation and resolution. And it's also going to be able to help us identify when our friends are in conflict, when family members are struggling. So there's a a lot of ways that we can apply this. And so mainly today, what I want to do is just kind of give us an overview of this. And I'm going to use use this board to kind of give us some examples and to help us see it. If you are a visual learner like me, then hopefully this will uh, be something that sticks with you. And if, uh, if you're not, then close your eyes and just listen. That's uh, all you got to do. But I want, us to, I want us to actually see this story of God. And more than that, I pray that you will begin to see your story in the story of God. And that you'll be able to share that with some others. And so this story of God begins with a, a book called Beginnings. Um, Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created. Now, when we say in the beginning, um, we kind of have a beginning point for the story. But really, it, we, we even sung about this just a few minutes ago. 
um, the God who was, the God who is, and the God who forevermore shall be. So I want this, this blue uh, band to represent God. Now, if, uh, if, if we had unlimited resources, I would have a blue band that goes all the way around the world. Um, uh, we would have a blue band that recognizes that, okay, this is maybe what we recognize as Genesis 1-1 when God created the heavens and the earth, but God was way before that. And what we think is really the ending of the story is going to feel just like a beginning. And very importantly, whether you realize it or not, it's a very big part of our story today. So, um, so in the beginning, and, and with this, I want us to kind of that infinity symbol. This is the, by the way, this is the first time I've ever used math um, in my <laughs> life for something. <laughs> so, so God, um, God is eternal. And we read that uh, in the beginning, God created. And and with this beginning, um, it, is a, uh, it is a way for God to begin to bring things together. We, we read in creation that he was pulling things together, things that were above and below and separating and pulling together. He was bringing order from the chaos. And so in the beginning, God. But what is interesting in this is there's a word for God that is uh, Elohim. So in the Hebrew, it is actually uh, Bereshit Elohim bara. In the beginning, God created. Um, that's, that's all I know in Hebrew, by the way. But Elohim, what's really interesting in this is that's a plural. In the Hebrew, it's plural. Now, that could sound like heresy to some of you. In the beginning, God's created the heavens and the earth. What's going on here? Well, we go on to read in different places. In fact, I'll put some references. Um, I'll put some references references up here. But in Genesis one, uh, one and two, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. And anybody want to let me know what was it that hovered above the waters? The Spirit hovered above the waters. And then we read in John one a very poetic way of referring to Jesus. He says, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it also says that in the beginning, all things were created with Jesus as a part of it. It actually states it in the negative. There was nothing created without Him, without Jesus. So we have, from the very beginning... God the Father, God the Son, and again, we just sang about this, God the Spirit, three in one. So we have this creation, and what I want us to focus on is there is oneness in this. These are three um, separate expressions of one God. Um, in Deuteronomy 6, this is a really big, um, this is a really big uh, truth that the Hebrew people clung to. And it's, uh, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. 
And that word for one, um, ikad, is a word that kind of you can kind of think of it as um, manyness in the oneness. It's not just one like all by itself, but it's it is talking about one, but it's almost like within that one is many. Um, about two years ago, when we were inside, if you can remember that long ago, um, we. Uh, I used a real simple illustration of a bowl of marbles and a cluster of grapes. And the cluster of grapes, that's ikad. That's a manyness in the oneness. There's a connection. There's a, that, that, that unity that comes with it. So we're going we're gonna to use this word oneness a lot. Um, there is, there's different ways to express this. Oneness... Um, Wholeness, um, and here's a here's a word that kind of sums up a lot of those that's used in the Bible. Shalom, we translate it as peace, but it's it's like everything is complete. Everything has come back together. Shalom. I don't say shalom without kind of going. Because that's just that that feeling that it gives you, and so from the very beginning. God desired, God designed everything for oneness. And when I say everything, that includes who he created later on in that week of creation, you and I. The yellow cord representing you and I. So here we have what God designed for us to experience. This is wholeness. There is oneness. There is peace, um, and not only was there oneness here, I just ran out of different colored bands, um, he created creation, all of creation, to exist in oneness. So I want you to understand that this oneness is, um, is, is given to us in God, it's, it's modeled for us in the Trinity. Um, it is uh, this oneness that we were created for exists between us and God. We're going to talk a little bit more about this next week. We were created for oneness. And he gives us some very um, vivid examples of that in Genesis 2 and chapter, th and chapter 3 as well. And I, not only are we created for oneness, we were created to experience oneness within ourselves. Have you ever, you know, just those days where you just kind of feel off? Something's not right? There is a, instead of being integrated, there is a disintegration that we have experienced. And when that happens, it's a reminder to us that we are not experiencing all that God put us on this earth to experience. Now let me take a few of these off, mainly because I don't want to accidentally pop something and it hits me in the face. Um, so we have all these examples of of the oneness, of the life that God has for us. Um, I don't know if you were aware of this. There's uh, In this story of God, there are 1,189 chapters in this story of God as given to us in the Bible. 1,189 chapters. And so we begin with this oneness, oneness with God and two chapters in to this 
1,189 chapter book, this is what happens. The oneness was broken. In fact, we could call it brokenness. We could refer to it as otherness. There is something now that has separated us. I grew up in a, in a setting where the word sin was used a lot. And it was, it was it compounded in my head. The way I heard it was, I've got to be perfect. I've got to be perfect. Sin, the problem isn't that sin ruins our perfection. Sin ruins our oneness. Sin separates us from life, from abundant living. And so what we experienced in just that first two chapters, with 1,187 chapters still to go, what we experience in that, when we read this book, are two things. It's man's attempt to restore oneness and God's relentless pursuit of us. You see, what we read in Genesis chapter 3, as soon as there was separateness, there was a question that God posed that I think is one of the most haunting questions in all of the Bible. He came looking for Adam and he said, where are you? Where, we used to, this was us. Where, where are you? Now, he's not asking this like a parent who suddenly can't find their kid at the store. Like, oh my goodness, I, you know, where, where did they go? God knew where Adam was. God wanted Adam to know where Adam was. He wanted Adam to realize that he made a choice that broke the oneness that was God's original design. And we see this played out, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the next couple of weeks, but this was not just a separateness from God, but we see how it ruined the connection that he had with his wife and with other people. We see how it ruined his connection to the earth, and we see how it just broke him apart inside. So that oneness that he had with God and with others and within himself and creation, all of that is broken at this point. And I don't know if you can relate, but this is, this is a lot of my life right here. Man, I, something's not right, and I'm going to work really hard. Uh, I can't quite, you know, I know this is where I want to be, and I'm trying so hard. And like I said, this is God's story. And what it's a beautiful story of is, as we see in Genesis 2, what I want you to remember in the where are you question is God came near. God came pursuing Adam in that state of otherness. And we're going to see what God will go through, what God will do just so he can restore oneness, knowing we're not going to be able to make it all the way up. We're going to get to that point in the story where we realize, so he came down, Emmanuel, with us. Um, it's... I uh, didn't put this bolt low enough, so he died and was buried. That's what that means right there. I, I don't know. But this is the beautiful picture that God desires oneness with us, and he seeks to restore all things 
to their original. What are some ways that you would, what, like, what are emotions or feelings that you experience in brokenness, otherness? Yeah, say them out loud. Separation? Desperation, yes, okay. Fear? Discouragement? Loneliness? Rejection? Pain? Yeah. Anxiety? The Bible talks about all of these things, and we, we know what this deep ache is like. Um, this is where shame enters the story. There was a beautiful story. We get two chapters in. There's major conflict. But the hero of the story has a desire. And what is that desire? His desire is to restore all things, to bring us back into oneness with him. So if we look at this as, as the opportunity that he is presenting to us, I want us to keep in mind that, that the life of oneness is life at its fullest and at its best. The way God designed you and I to experience life. That's the ideal. What he desires to do is to restore that. Now you can, and I won't ask you to say these necessarily out loud, but what are the things that we do that we think will achieve oneness, even if it's just for a short season? What are the things that we pursue in the hopes that we will have that sense of wholeness, like just for a moment? What are the things that we are after, thinking, oh, boy, there's something missing, and we get desperate, and what do we do? And in this story, what we see over and over and over is how God came to his people. In the Old Testament, we're going to look at the ways that God came to his people through covenants. He invited them back into oneness with him through covenants. We're going to take a closer look at this new covenant um, that Jesus offers us. And then, what does this look like? Okay, so you experience a moment of oneness with God. Do we continue down here? Is this the way it is? Because when Jesus came down, that's not what it was. Jesus, Emmanuel, came down, but then we read that he said he's going away to prepare a place for us. Wait a minute, are we alone again? Well, the hero of the story is going to do something to close that gap, to fill that in for us so that we can experience oneness in our day-to-day -day, or every day with him. I want us to think about, um, to, to transition into communion. And I want you to think about how much you crave affinity. You, you crave togetherness and oneness, whether you realize it or not. If... Um, like, a, 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 let's say that a, a newly dating couple gets together. One of the things that they're always excited about is we have so much in common. Yeah. And then they get married, and then they realize 
They have nothing in common. <laughs> Absolutely nothing in common. But God fooled them into thinking. I just no. I'm just kidding. We we have in us this craving for affinity, for oneness, for connection. Why are we having tacos today? Because we love tacos, maybe. Because we thought maybe we could appeal to your stomachs to get you to church? No. <laughs> because what we're going to experience is oneness. That's what we long for, even more than tacos. That's just the pathway to oneness. Sober Mesa. We're going to sit around a table. We're going to be one big family around tables, experiencing what God created us to experience all along. When we have these, these moments, I think that's a reminder to us that um, we can experience heaven on earth. It's that, it's that reminder to us that all is not lost. It's that point in the movie where, okay, there's hope. There's hope. So I, I pray that today we experience a reminder of how beautiful oneness is. Um, that we leave here with a sense of hope and realizing that this is something that God wants us to, to experience when we get home, when we wake up tomorrow, all throughout the week. This is what we were created for. Communion. We celebrate this every week. Um, it is a way that we talk about gathering around a table for a very special meal. Jesus described it to his disciples um, in what we now know of as the Last Supper. And he said, uh, he said, this is the bread. And he broke it and gave thanks. And he said, this represents my body. He took the cup and said, this is the new covenant in my blood that is shed for you. And what I want us to, to keep in mind is that... Um, this, this bread that we have, it came from the same loaf. Well, with the exception of these, but that's <laughs> the, the prepackaged. But we have, uh, it came from the same loaf. And, and what I want us to understand is communion, there's a couple of ways that we are reminded just in this act um, how it, it, it reminds us of oneness and it brings us back together. Communion is a compound word, common union. We are celebrating this is what we have in common, our love for Christ. This is what we have in common, realizing that we could not restore oneness on our own, but we have received the gift of God's Son. So we have that common union. And I still remember in our staff meeting when Dave Robinson was talking about when Jesus said to remember what it does is remembers us. It brings members back together. We are remembered as the body of Christ. So let me give you just a moment to reflect. Um, maybe allow yourself to feel the ache of separation for a moment. What's this like for you? What has this past week been like? Have there been moments that are, that are marked by loneliness or desperation or fear? Um, have there, has there been just that deep ache of anxiety 
would you just offer that to God? Acknowledge that to him? And then in gratitude, we started with gratitude. We're coming back to gratitude. In gratitude, would you say, thank you, Father, for sending your son? Thank you, Jesus, for this new covenant that you've invited me into. Thank you that you pursue me, that you come after me. Father, we, we come to you and say thank you for being the hero. And Lord, we, um, we know that there is conflict. Lord, we, maybe now more than ever, we, re- we realize that we live in a very divided world. I don't know in my lifetime, God, that I have, have sensed greater division than what I see in our country and in our world. But Lord, I don't give up hope because I know that you are still coming after us, pursuing us. You're not out to get us back for doing something wrong. You're out to win us back into this loving relationship with you and with one another. May we, as we approach this table, be renewed and filled with hope that in Jesus, you seek to restore all things. We thank you. Here we are in your courts thanking you as we enter into your presence at this table. May joy fill our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen.